Welcome to the Heart to Kill podcast, the official podcast of the Heart to Kill program, the world's leading program for driven individuals looking to gain direction and momentum, where we aim to break down the complex, multifaceted and holistic factors of human performance and optimization. Both on the program and on this podcast, we will be discussing and excavating everything pertaining to psychological resilience, physical robustness, and leading by example with discipline and tenacity to create a culture of winning, especially in the turbulent, frenetic, and high-tempo world of the ambitious individual. This is Mark, the creator, senior DS, and head coach of the Heart of Field program. Let's get stuck straight into it. So in today's episode of the podcast, I wanted to talk about guilt, specifically through the lens of guilt and high performance. Now, guilt is something that comes up in a surprise number of conversations. And I say surprising because you wouldn't typically attach guilt and high performance together. But we're going to run through it today because I believe it's of specific importance to start reframing why we're, we're feeling guilt here, why we're experiencing guilt and why it holds so many individuals back from true peak performance. Okay. So let's start with a roundabout definition of what guilt is. So guilt is, from a psychological perspective at least, determined and defined by a self-consciousness or a set of emotions that we perceive we have thought of or, or done something wrong. And then that's often followed by actions to the contrary to try and rectify or, or correct that. So let's begin there. We experience guilt when we perceive that we've done something wrong. Now, we can expand upon that and ask, well, have we actually done anything wrong or do we just believe that we've done something wrong? And in there lays the gray area that we can now explore and expand upon to invert these emotions of guilt. So we're starting with that. Then we're going to talk about, well, in what instances, when and where do aspirational high performers experience guilt? And then we can start to piece these two things together. So we're experiencing guilt and when is it happening? And is this something that actually ought to initiate a guilt response? And if not, what do we need to do on a cognitive and emotional level to reframe to allow us to engage in the behaviors and do the the things necessary to actualize peak performance across all spheres of the individual, the professional, the athletic, and the leadership roles. So returning to that definition of, of, of guilt, that we have this self-consciousness and these emotions that are being triggered because we feel like we've done something wrong. In aspirational high performers, this is almost always because we feel like we're being selfish, quote unquote. We feel that in moments when we're resting, or we're taking time off, or we're doing things that promote our health, whether that's physical training, whether that's restorative practices, any one of a number of different exercises you want to kind of point towards, we we experience these emotions of guilt that we're not being productive, that we should be learning something, that we should be doing something productive. A fantastic example of this is individuals that I encourage to read for the love of reading, but then they are struck by this emotion of guilt because they should be reading self-help literature or self-development books, and that it's, it's whimsical and nonsensical and a waste of time to read things that they actually truly, deeply, inherently enjoy reading. And I've always been an advocate that we we read to build the love of reading, then we use the love of reading to, to read things that can develop us, not the other way around. And there's a, there's a reason why so many individuals really have quite a cyclical on-off relationship with reading because they read something they inherently enjoy and they're very curious about so it feels effortless and then they try and apply that same curiosity and interest to dry self-help literature and wonder why they can't commit to it. It was because they don't enjoy it. You're not curious about it. You don't love it. You're not passionate about it. So when they do then try and go back to something, you know, reading fiction or you know, autobiographies, which I sincerely believe can actually teach us quite a lot through experiential and, and anecdotal um, insight, we feel like we should be reading any one of all these books that are glamorized and made famous through social media. And I guess as a bit of an aside, a bit of an anecdote, having read a, a disproportionate number of those books, almost all of them 
could be condensed down into about 20 sentences. And the remainder above and beyond that is literally, literally just fluff in an effort to um, satisfy their publishing house. And I'm really being quite honest about that. Having now met a few people behind the scenes and, and how the industry all operates, there really are typically about 20 keynotes and things that you can take away. The rest is just repetition of the fact in various different settings and scenarios in order to fill a couple of hundred pages. So isn't it silly that we feel guilty because we're not reading that and instead we're reading something we actually enjoy. So then we can revisit these emotions of, of feeling like we're doing something wrong. And that's what, are we doing anything wrong? Reading what we love versus reading something that we should quote unquote be reading. And if you've listened to my publications or read any of my uh, stuff on, on Instagram or social media or my email series, you'll know how I feel about the word should, that it's one laden with societal expectation and guilt. And this is where all these concepts start to marry together in what is quite a large jigsaw piece of the dark underside of peak performance, which is this self-applied pressure and this expectation, these societal beliefs, and what happens when we try and escape those and really lean in towards prioritizing self-development, success, fulfillment, so on and so forth. So there's one example, it's kind of reading. The second is whenever we have individuals who are really interested and committed to peak performance, but have young families, which is, you know, a really high percentage, I'd say in excess of 75%, you know, coming to us in their late 20s to mid 30s, and they're normally a father, they've got at least one young child, and then they're married, and they work hard, they love to train, but every time they want to go out to train, every time they're not at home with baby and mum, they feel this overriding, overbearing sense of guilt. Now, again, let's revisit our definition of guilt. It's it's a set of sub subconscious emotions that we're doing something wrong. So where is that arriving from? Well, is it is it inherent truth? Do we believe it's true? Do we believe it's societal conditioning and dysfunctional belief systems that we've unwittingly, almost ignorantly kind of absorbed and picked up and, and thought to be true? Or is it even a evolutionary biological function? And I believe it's only two of those three. I do not believe believe it to be the truth whatsoever in any facet at all. Like anyone who has had a, a young child and has a family understands their roles and responsibilities in creating resources and leading that family unit in being a role model and a father figure and a leader for the child, as well as being a rock, as well as being a supportive, as well as being emotionally available for for their, for their partner. And obviously this works the other way too. We do have uh, females who experience the exact same too, but but typically it is, it, is, it is men that experience this kind of guilt. So we look at, well, it's not the truth that they're not allowed to go and put themselves first. So where is this belief system coming from? Where is this guilt coming from? And if we reverse the conversation a couple of minutes, you, you'd have heard me use the word selfish. They perceive that it's selfish. And the belief is that to be selfish that is to put oneself first is inherently bad and is wrong and we shouldn't be doing that and there you go there is the root cause of all of this guilt and therefrom arises these behaviors this borderline martyrdom that we must stay home no matter what no matter what no matter how unfulfilled no matter how unhappy no matter how much you're watching your future disappear into the ether no matter how many domestic arguments is causing between your partner and yourself no matter how out of shape it's making you and how unhappy that's making you no matter how irritable and short-tempered you are with your child you must stay home. This is not the dark ages. This is not a truth. This is a narrative and a belief system that needs to be identified and needs to be worked alongside. Because if we are to, if we are to consider that it is true, if we are allow it to continue, then we are perpetuating essentially generational traumas. And you, the individual, are the one who bears the responsibility to stop it fucking dead. Unless, of course, that's what you aspire to pass down from generations to generations, that as a father figure, you create a family and now your only responsibility in life is to work until your 
your mental health is in jeopardy and is to provide for your family until your physical health is in jeopardy. And then you're going to become a fucking liability to both of those assets of your life. Now, I appreciate I'm being somewhat direct here, but I'm doing that purposefully because I'm trying to play out how, I don't know if I can really use the word retarded, but I'm trying to play out how backward and draconian these belief systems are, but yet we've never questioned them. And I see many coaches on Instagram um, trying to make a headway towards this and saying, you know, you need to prioritize yourself, so on and so forth. But then it comes across as quite pushy advice. And then you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you feel inherently through decades of societal conditioning and generational belief that you should be there for, for, for producing resources for your family and you should be there at home. And I've also been told, well, you should make time for yourself and you should train so on and so forth. So I don't believe being told what to do is necessarily advantageous in this situation. I think it actually just probably adds fuel to the fire and creates more dissonance. That's why I want to come at this for the angle of, of, of deliberately highlighting the flawed and dysfunctional belief systems and educating you and hopefully questioning the narrative in an effort to, to, to create an insight, an aha moment whereby your neurons fire together and differently for the first time and you think, oh, hold on, like perhaps what I have been believing is not the truth. Perhaps it's not reality. Perhaps it really is just a belief system. Now that's not to say it's going to make it any easier to overcome. When we go through these enormous insights and identity shifts, often if you don't have people around you in some facet to communicate with that about, if you don't have something like a plan of, okay, well, how are we going to, to change the remainder of these belief systems? And, and what's the, what is the actual course of action for this? And what are we, what are we going to do to create a degree of uh, strategic priority with how we're allocating our time? If we don't have those things. It's very easy to just kind of circle around in this perpetual cycle of, of dissonance and guilt. And that's not what we aspire to, to deliver to anybody, but I'm deliberately buying direct just to say, well, look, there is another option. You do not have to succumb and subscribe to the belief that once you've you know got yourself a degree of responsibility in your professional endeavors, and once you've potentially started a family, that now you can no longer do the things that made you, you in the first instance. So retouching on all of what we've just covered, because I appreciate we've moved at quite an accelerated rate there. The first thing we spoke about was this, this definition of what guilt is, and it's this set of subconscious emotions associated with the fact that we've done something wrong. We then went from that and looked at, well, is is reading for enjoyment wrong? Is taking time for ourselves as a, as a family leader, as a father figure, as a professional wrong? And we've then come to the conclusion, well, okay, the reality is it's not wrong, but it is contrary to belief systems and societal narratives that have been present for, I don't even know how long they go back for, but it's now the information age. And it's even further than that, it's the age of critical thinking, whereby we can question, whereby we have access to its information. And, and ultimately the one who can think and navigate all of this information is going to be the one who's successful. So we can start to uncouple ourselves from these shackles and say, right, it is possible for me to achieve peak performance as not only a leader to my family and in my workplace, but also as a fucking individual, as a professional and as an athlete, whatever athletics means to you, that could be simply training consistently three times per week in order to keep your body mobile, agile, robust and stave off disease and all the other cascades of, of negative things that come with that. Or it could be, you know, you want to do your first Ironman, you want to do the Marathon de Sables as I'm doing. It could be, you know, you want to do a, a trail marathon. You could just anything to experience that level of, of freedom, autonomy, robustness and courage that you probably felt as a younger individual. Like it is absolutely possible. And the hard to kill program exists to create that level of peak performance and psychological freedom for those who have the courage, the daring and the robustness to say, well, I, I dare to ask for more. I, I'm 
I'm no longer convinced by the societal narratives that I'm just here to be a martyr. And I want to know how to do that. Because with all of this being said, let's look at the inverse of that. And this is what got us onto the conversation. In the first instance is where we hear it and, and what impact it has if we don't do something about this, if we don't change it. And it, it occurs all the time in conversations that we're having with, with people. Um, sometimes it's just kind of innocuous chit chat. Other times like people are applying to the program is this, this general overbearing sense of guilt for putting oneself first and for coming across as selfish. Now, I also want to draw attention to the fact that I do not believe being selfish is inherently a negative trait whatsoever. I think there's a miscommunication between being selfish and being self-centered or self-involved or self-absorbed. Obviously, the latter three are ones that we that we want to avoid. We would not want for someone to describe us as self-centered or self-absorbed because it means we only see as far as our own benefit. And that's not ultimately what peak performance is about. But when we look at being selfish, all that simply means is to put oneself first in terms of one's interests. So if we look at analogies that feed into that belief system, well, have you ever considered that on an airplane, when you're going through the safety briefing, they tell you to fit your own respirator first before you fit your child's? Why? Because surely you love your child and you want it to survive. Absolutely you do. But if you're not fucking breathing, unfortunately, no one's going to be there to take after their needs and they're not able to do it themselves. So you owe it to those who you support to look after yourself first. And if we do not put ourselves first and understand, well, let's look at our romantic relationships first. In a romantic relationship, there are actually three entities, okay? There are three living, functioning things. There is you, there is your partner, who is hopefully living and functioning. And then lastly, there is a relationship. The relationship is its own entity. If you are prioritizing your health, both mental and physical, your well-being, your goals, dreams, and aspirations, and your fulfillment and happiness, and your partner feels they have the safety but spaciousness to pursue their dreams, their goals, their aspirations, and their independence, then your relationship will go from strength to strength indefinitely. That is what we call interdependence. And for anyone who's familiar with the works of Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know that interdependence is, is the accolade for which we should all strive to be achieving, that we've superseded dependence. We've then become independent, which normally happens in sort of your late teens or early 20s. And then we realize that there's an exponential amount of power if we, if we again transcend that and we want to share our time, our love, our energy, our experiences with another individual, but we're both prioritizing our own life progression, our own life journey too. That is the definition of interdependence in a, in a roundabout way. Now, problems arise when you start perceiving that you now are only exist to prioritize the relationship. Because if you're just prioritizing the relationship, and your partner just prioritizing the relationship, then these two entities will start to drain, wilter, wither, and die. And what happens when you get two people who feel unfulfilled, frustrated, irritable, tired, in close proximity to one another all the time? Fucking arguments. It's a disaster. Then if you add children to the mix, and children bring with them additional pressures, pressures and stresses, bring with them sleep deprivation in almost all cases, then it's just a fucking car crash of an environment. You are short-tempered, you are irritable, you feel short-changed with what life's giving you, and is it any wonder but again we have to look at this is the inverse this is what you wanted when you said you feel guilty for putting yourself first this is what you fucking subscribe to this is what you've created for yourself this is what you wanted and we have to understand this it is really a relatively black and white scenario here now that's not to say that we should just swan around and cut our own detail and do whatever the fuck we want every waking moment and just palm everything off on everybody else. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying you pretty much aspire to be a peak performer. So you want to achieve things as an individual, as a professional, as an athlete, as a leader, but the belief system associated with guilt is holding you back because you feel like you shouldn't. You feel guilty for putting yourself first, whether that's how you spend your, your spare time, whether it's how you recover, whether at, when it's how you train, all these kind of things. You make so many compromises and sacrifices that ultimately is it any wonder that people reach out to us absolutely their wits end, almost burn 
burnt out because they as an individual have died a death and they as an individual no longer exist they only now exist as the person who works all the time and the person who who, who is a father and if we start like previewing this if we start looking into generations ahead well where they learned that behavior from where you potentially have learned that behavior from of guilt is is by observing the, the societal narrative so you will also know that children don't typically listen they observe they mirror it's social learning theory so if you're perpetuating this no matter how good you think you are at covering that no matter how good you are at acting guess what you're doing you're perpetuating this societal narrative and you're passing on if you want to call it generational trauma then let's go with that for want of a better phrase you're passing on generational trauma and your child will grow up and that is likely the belief system and narrative that they will demonstrate however you have the power you have the responsibility to stop it there you have the initiative and you have the capability to say this bullshit stops with me this the man must work every hour God sends and he can't have any fun. This, I can't leave the house and I can't put myself first for the next 18 years until my child grows up. This, I must always be productive and I must work every waking moment because I'm not worth training. Fucking has, you can stop it. Dead. You. You alone. Now I know that's frightful and that's fear-inducing to a lot of people, but the world as it stands is full of hurt and fearful people just looking for other people to lash out and for other things to project their fear onto. So when we break it down and we understand well, there's a degree of fear there, that's okay. It is okay to experience fear. We all fucking experience fear at all times and I'm, I'm going to be very direct and very honest the platitudes and, and garbage that's perpetuated about um, fear in the most extreme settings and people talking about fear on the battlefield so on and so forth has absolutely no bearing on your life right now the fear that you're experiencing one is a very 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 low grade fear of just perpetual anxiety and guilt and that's where it's coming from so there's absolutely zero point in, in mentally masturbating and fantasizing about fucking these special operators and so on and so forth and, and hearing what they have to say about how you can overcome because it's not it's not the same type of fear the fear we're dealing with here is having the courage to say i don't want to pass these belief systems on any further than myself i don't want for anybody in my workplace in my family environment or my relationship relationship and my relationships to deal with the, the less than optimal version of me like sometimes we all go through tough points and we all go through challenges and we might not be the person we aspire to be and that's okay but if we're if, if we're opting and electing to let fear control us because we're afraid of guilt because we're afraid of what we should do because we're afraid of what other people say about us because we're afraid of society because we're afraid of going against the grain well then you're actually making the easiest choice which is just to go along with the narrative and and not do what is in your best interest so if we recap once again, everything that we've been through, we looked at what the actual definition from a psychological perspective of guilt was. We then looked at, well, is it actually wrong what we're doing to put oneself first? Yes or no? And we decided that actually it wasn't the truth that putting our mental and physical well-being first was, is not the truth. And then uh, we begin to look at what the term selfish and is selfish necessarily a bad thing or is it just to put oneself first in order to better serve ourselves, our partners, our relationships? And we decided that being selfish is different from being self-centered or self-absorbed and we would aspire to absorb that. And then we've looked at the that actually we single-handedly hold the power the responsibility to change societal narratives to do away with this belief system and to no longer pass it down to generations below and, and beyond us now that might seem quite um over dramatic if we want to use that phrase for want of a better word but the truth is if everyone passes the book if everyone positive responsibility then it goes fucking nowhere because again through social media and youtube and where all these numbers are in the millions you see if you have to have an impact on millions of people for it to actually do anything 
anything. Well, the, the truth is, as a leader, it starts with you and the only people you're actually responsible for are the people in your immediate circle. You're responsible for your immediate circle, for your immediate self. So you can continue to believe, oh, I feel guilty if I put myself first and I, and I feel guilty if I'm not training. Uh, sorry, I feel guilty if I'm not working and I feel guilty, so on and so forth. Or you can you can say, right, I, I, I now believe that guilt is not necessary in this environment, that I'm not actually doing anything wrong. I'm not being self-centered, but I am putting my own energy, happiness, fulfillment, goals and dreams first. And as a result, I'm a happier person to be around. And yes, I've got some learning to do with regards to how I can now manage my dowry and how I can prioritize. But that's a lesson that I'm very much willing to absorb because I know at the tail end of this development process, at the tail end of this pursuit of self-mastery, I pass on better lessons to those around me. I lead people from a much more authentic place because I've gone through these lessons and I've, I've experienced this change. I can communicate from a different place and I can inspire people to go ahead and make enormous, monumental, insightful changes in their life too. And that's ultimately on, on a larger scale what the Hard Skill Program is about is facilitating that for those who have the courage um, and the desire to put their hand up and question it. So that's my perspective on guilt. And I, I do hope it's been um, it's, it's been insightful for you, but I would love to hear your feedback. I do perceive this might be inflammatory. This might be um, challenging to many people's belief systems, but ultimately it's not said to be deliberately incendiary. It's not said to be untrue. It's not said uh, to be disrespectful or undermining or demeaning, but it is said to question the narrative and it is said to provide some degree of evidence and critical thought about how we all might actually overcome the, the things that we're using to put in our own way to pursue the relentless pursuit of better. Uh -huh.